All right, let's open up our Bibles to James. We are in chapter 2 now of James. So James chapter 2. If you are visiting uh, this summer, we are going through the book of James. So we are slow and uh, slowly and methodically working through the whole book. By the end of the summer, we will have went through, Lord willing, the whole book of James. And then we will pick up uh, where we left off when we finished First Samuel in the beginning of summer. And we'll pick up at 2 Samuel in September. All right, so James chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 to 13. This is God's word. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and, and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on our time. Father, as we uh, open up the pages of Scripture and as we even look at this subject matter of favoritism impartiality. We pray, God, that you would bring conviction, uh, that you would open up uh, our eyes to understanding of, of where we miss the mark on this matter. Help us to be a people who are known for the mercy that we show. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Are people treated differently based upon appearance? Does someone, uh, how they're dressed, how attractive they are, uh, whatever the case may be, does that make a difference in how others deal with people. All right, everybody nod your head yes. If you said no to that, you do not live in the same world as I do, and I think you're a little naive and uh, kind of uh, clueless to, to real life. I mean, that is, that is really par for the course in our society. You can go online and watch videos. I remember I was watching a, a video where they did an experiment. Uh, they had various people as stranded motorists. And based on what the person looked like, based on attractiveness, based on clothing, based on skin color, based on gender, dictated drastically who stopped and how quick. You put a a very attractive woman, it was amazing to see the number of men who stopped instantly and even caused traffic to help this. But you put a a guy out there, maybe somebody who's a little bit not as well-kept, and car after car after car would drive by. Watched another video with a, a, a young woman who, based on how she dressed, 
dictated how she was treated. Same person. She dressed a lot more plain and just kind of maybe a little bit more boring by definition. And she kind of just went through life and people kind of ignored her. She dressed kind of highlighting her beauty the next go around and she was getting free stuff everywhere. And that's just, that's the world we live in. We live in a place that is superficial where favoritism is shown time and again. There's really no debate about this. You see, but what goes on the world in the world should not go on in the church, and it should certainly not go on amongst God's people. There's no place for that kind of treatment, for partiality. All people need grace and mercy. So everybody in here, look around. Every person in here, regardless of appearance, clothing, attractiveness, title in life, whatever it is, everybody here needs grace and mercy. As a result, we need to be a people who are extending what? Grace and mercy, no exceptions. The church is to be the place where the gospel is constantly on display. It's to be a haven of hope for the overlooked, the outcasts, the downtrodden. The church is the place, it is the island for misfit toys. That's where we need to be. We need to be those people that are, are em- embracing those that the world does not embrace. Well, as we look at the people in the place uh, where there are no favorites, if you're taking notes, we're going to ask three questions this morning. Uh, we're going to begin our time by asking, what is this partiality that he speaks of? So we're going to unpack, we're going to delve in deep. What was actually going on amongst the individuals that James was writing to? Second question we're going to ask is, why is this a problem? And this is going to be the bulk of our time this morning. So this is not going to be a balanced sermon as far as my outline points. We're going to spend the bulk of our time asking that question. Why is this a problem? And then we'll wrap up our time by asking, what should our practice be? How do we apply this? How should this impact how you and I live in the day-to-day grind of life? So let's get started as we pick up with that first question, what is this partiality? Now, if you remember last week, we saw James raise the bar of expectation. That as a follower of Jesus, we are to be not just hearers, we're to be what? We're to be doers of the word. We live differently, we speak differently, we act differently, we love differently. We we do all of those things because we know Christ. That is the norm. That's not the exception. Christians that live like that are not the outliers. That should be the average Christian. So what he's going to do today is give us a a specific example of how Christians, he raises the bar, how Christians live differently, and this is specifically with how you and I engage with one another, how you and I interact with other people. Do Do we judge based on appearance, or do we treat people as Christ would treat them? Well, as we look at this partiality, the first thing I want us to see is look at the scenario. Let's look at the scenario. Read verse 1 with me. He says, My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So immediately he draws attention to the problem. There's this partiality going on. So even as a reader, you're thinking, all right, well, what does this partiality look like? James is like, I'm glad you asked. So here it is. He gives an example. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. So there's the scenario. We've got two people coming in. And what we see happening is what God said to Samuel in 1 Samuel. Do you remember? 1 Samuel 16, 7. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the, does anybody remember? 
outward appearance, the Lord looks at the heart. And we see it right here. They look at the outward appearance. So here's the scenario. Man number one walks in. What's he look like? He's got a gold ring. He's got fine clothes. He might be a prominent person in the community, so everybody knows him. They might, I mean, imagine if there's somebody really popular, I don't even know who that person would be, in, in Perrysburg walked in, and all of a sudden people look like, oh my goodness, it's, it's Mr. Whatever. It's, can you believe it? He's, he's coming to church with us. He's, he's here with us. It was that kind of scenario. This guy comes in. He's got his gold ring. He's got his fine clothes. Everybody is ooing and eyeing. I, I want us to see, though, this is a principle here. It's not just the clothing we're talking about. It's a bigger idea. It's the idea of a person with high education, maybe with titles in his name. He's the CEO of this. He's the lawyer. He's that. He's, he's got wealth. He's got prosperity. Uh, it, it might be beauty. It might be attractiveness. It might be someone's physique. It might be the shapeliness of the individual. Whatever it is, it is all about judging the book by its cover. That when this person walks in, everybody is in awe of the appearance. But he's not the only one that walks in. Who's the second person? It says this person comes in in, in shabby clothes. It's, it's the idea that these clothes are old, that they're not in good condition. Maybe they smell. Maybe he smells. Maybe they're dirty. They're, he's not well kept. You, you, are, you, are you visualizing this with me? These are the two people that walk in. And it's not just that they walk into a room. This is likely God's people gathered for worship. And they come in and they look and they see it. And they start, as we're going to see, judging. Well, how quick are you to judge based on sight? How often do you judge a book by its cover? Because I think we all have tendencies there. You walk down the road, you walk down the hall, you see a stranger. Immediately we do the eye test and we start, start judging and start, start assuming things. And, and we see that. So that's the scenario. But then notice this special treatment. Go to verse 3. He says, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. You want to see what happened? What were they doing? They were not just simply judging in their hearts and their eyes. They did something about it. They come in, the rich person, VIP treatment. Have you ever been shown VIP treatment? Raise your hand. A few people. I, I had the opportunity, um, one of the, the people in the church uh, has access to, to professional sports tickets because of his company, and he got me and some of my boys tickets to go to a, a, a basketball game, and, and we went to the game, and Tickets were amazing. I would never have paid the money that I'm assuming the tickets cost to ever go to a basketball game. Uh, but it was good seats. We were close to the, the action. And then at a point during the game, a representative from the team came to our seat and like brought us like a care package. We had like hats and shirts and like all our kids were like, this is sweet. This is, this is cool. Well, as we were doing that, I noticed the people around us staring at us. Like, who are these people? Like, why are people making such a fuss about them? So the guy next to me is like, hey, what was that all about? And I, and I just, I was being funny. I was like, we're just VIP. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, 
this is a bank that we are associated with, and we're very important customers to this bank, so they're just trying to stroke our egos. He's like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. And, <laughs> and he's like, and so, yeah, he, he, was, he was, I think he sat there for like the next 15 minutes wondering, like, how does this work? I'm not a very important person by any means, but I, I saw how that fell, and like, that's what was happening here. Like this rich man comes in and everybody is making such a fuss of him. They're like, they go over and actually like say, hey, uh, I'm going to need you, Doug and Diane, you're going to have to move. Uh, you can sit over here. We need, these are good, these are prime seats. Right in the middle, uh, you get to sit here. So they made that fuss, a special treatment. But then it's not just that they were giving him VIP treatment. They were giving dishonoring treatment to the poor man. They came to him and they said, hey, uh, yeah, you can stand in the back. Uh, or actually, that back space is kind of coveted. You know what you can do? You can kind of sit over here. There's this spot near my feet. You can sit here. Do you understand where they're getting at? It's that implied feeling of why are you here? Why are you still here? You're not welcome. Why don't you go and make it better for everybody else? Leviticus 19.15 warned about this kind of treatment between the rich and the poor. Uh, you should not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. And that was what was happening. They were treating the poor horribly while deferring to the great. And this was happening in the church and worship. Do you show special treatment based on appearance like this? I notice, I do. I, I, I caught myself this week as I'm preparing the sermon. I'm like, wow, man, I treat people differently based on what I see. And that shouldn't be the case. So, so that's the partiality, the scenario, the special treatment that ensued. Uh, but then the question, like I said, we're going to spend a lot more time on this. Why is this such a big deal? Why is this a problem? I mean, think about it. First century church, all these other issues, is showing special treatment to a rich person. I mean, is it really that big of a deal? James, are you making much to do about nothing? Like, come on. Like, there's more important matters to press on. You're really going to devote 13 verses in the Bible to this subject matter? It's that big of a deal. Well, why is it a big deal? First of all, because it is sin. Read verse 4 with me. He says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You see what's really happening? He's judging. He's judging the poor with evil thoughts. He is reading the book by its cover. He is using the eye test to discern things about these individuals that you know nothing about. Do you understand that? That shabby clothed man might be one of the most godly men that he's ever been around. He could be one of the biggest servants, the most humble, Christ-like, gracious, merciful people ever. That rich person that you're ooing and aahing over could be one of the most worthless men to have ever walked on this earth. And yet, based on appearance, we're esteeming the outward appearance guy while dishonoring the other. That's what's going on. It's judging. Have you ever judged? I've had the opportunity to judge some of the school events, and they do like a speech meet, and this great shake, which is also kind of speech-related. And, I mean, you're sitting there, and, and, and it's difficult to judge because you're, you're, you're evaluating, like, high school kids and junior high kids on things. So you don't want to be too critical. Some of the parents, I think, enjoy it. They're like, I've been waiting all day to judge people. Uh, 
I'm not like that, so I tend to sway with a little bit higher scores. Like, everybody's doing great. Uh, but I can't hand in the same score sheet for 35 kids. So to, to try to balance that too. But at the end of the day, they're entering a contest. I'm called to be a judge. That's great. Well, here's the deal. You and I, we are not called to be judges. God did not say, hey, you know what I'd really like for you to do for me, please? You know, in lieu of me uh, being there, I'm going to have you act as my ambassador of judging. So what I want you to do is when you see people, I want you to judge them just based on their appearance. And then tell me what you think and feel. No, that's not the case. That's not what he wants from us. Notice that they're evil thoughts. It's wickedness at the root. That you would look at somebody and decide they shouldn't be there simply because of how they appear. Why are you guilty of judging others in your heart? Are you starting to see the problem here? This is a big deal. That's why there's 13 verses in the Bible devoted to this. Because we're really, and I use the term, and you can put it in quotes, we're really good at this. But it's not good that we're good at it. We're judging. Are you guilty of this? But not only do we see what's really happening, he calls it what it is. It is sin. Read verse 9 with me. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. Wow, James. That, that escalated fast. That's some name calling there, right? I mean, is this a big deal? Like, I'm, I mean, you saw him. That gold ring was sweet. And he had like, he had Armani and he had, I mean, he has a nice looking outfit. Like, what's the big deal? And he says, no, you, by doing that, guess what you just did? You sinned. You transgressed God's divine law. First Timothy 5.20, Paul tells Timothy, for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. Matthew 18.15, if your brother causes sins against you, go and tell him his fault. And that's what James does here. He keeps it real. He calls it sin for what it is. It's sin. And I think we've missed that in our culture. We've missed that in our society, that we are afraid to death to call sin, sin. Do you understand that? We call perversions lifestyles. We call murder choices. That's what we do. Heaven forbid we ever call anything sin because we're so afraid of perception. We're so afraid of what others might think. And friends, we're doing nobody a service by doing that. People need to hear that sin is sin. And in this particular instance, when you show favoritism, you are sinning. It's like you murdered somebody. It's like you committed adultery. It's like you made a graven image. In God's eyes, he sees it, and he labels it as what it is. It is sin. This is unacceptable. It's against God. It's against his commands. It's against his design. He opposes it. We need to stop explaining away our sin. We love to have these acceptable sins in our lives that we turn a blind eye to. Well, it's not a big deal. Oh, it is a big deal. Well, do you call sin out? Do you explain sin away? Because not only is it a sin, it's silly. Read verse 5 with me. It is ridiculous. Listen to what he says. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? 
Do you notice God's heart right there? God has a big heart for who? Say it with me. The poor. Paul, God is the God of underdogs. 1 Corinthians 1.26, consider your own calling. And then he goes on, not many of you are powerful, not many of you are noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He then goes on, God chose what is low and despised in the world. Not saying that God loves poor people more than everybody else, but he definitely, and there's a pattern in scripture, he definitely has a special heart for the poor. Remember, he didn't pick the rich for his initial disciples. He came to preach to the poor. Luke 4.18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus himself, he comes. What does it say? Though he was rich, yet he became poor. Matthew 8.2, the son of man has no place to lay his head. We should have a heart for the poor. That they should be special to us because they're special to him. That's why mercy ministry should flow from churches because they flow from God. I mean, you and I, we do this. If we know somebody who knows somebody, like one of our friends, we tend to treat them better, do we not? If somebody name drops and says, hey, when we went to the doctor uh, with, with my son with x-rays, we went to the place. I know one of their main, or, uh, their, their main surgeons there. And I name dropped because he's my friend. And I knew knowing me, knowing him, was going to get us our best treatment. It's just natural. And I think when we see the poor, when what they can name drop is Yahweh. They can name drop God. And we should have a heart for that. There's not even, and I don't want to digress right now, it's not even to, to mention what the Bible says about the rich when it comes to faith. That it's almost impossible. Now, what's impossible with man is possible with God. But it, the rich, it's a stumbling block to faith. That it's really amazing and remarkable when we see rich people that know Christ because it's so easy for them to be independent of the Lord. Well, do you have a heart for the poor? Do you have a heart for the downtrodden? Because not only do we see God's heart, notice their hurt. Go to verse 6 with me. He says, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the one who oppress you and the ones who drag you into your court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? Now, I, I need to stress this. Not all rich people were like this, okay? Not all rich people are bad. Not all poor people are good. You understand? So let's get that out there. That's not what he's saying, but he's saying the pattern that these Christians were used to is that the people who are wealthy and prominent, they were the ones that were taking advantage of the church and of the people. And it doesn't make sense. It's silly. It's ridiculous. Imagine somebody breaks into your house, and as they're getting away, you run them down, and you say, wait, and then you hand them another prized possession. Like, you missed this. This was in that one drawer that you ransacked through. If you would have looked a little better, it was there. Here you go. And then you ask, like, hey, can I have your address? Because I would like to send you a thank you. After you get, you know, settled with my stuff or you, you pawn it off, I, I mean, it's really want to uh, give you some, some gratitude for all you've done. I mean, that sounds ridiculous, right? Well, that same rich man that came in with the gold ring and the fine clothes, yeah, he threw... John in jail last week 
He made Bob lose his job. He did all of these things, and you're making a big deal of him. This is insane. Ezekiel twenty two twenty nine warns the people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and have exhorted from the sojourner without justice. And what James is saying, friends, we should pity these people, not praise them, not esteem them. It makes no sense. Why are you enamored with the rich and powerful? Because we do. We love money in our world and our society. You don't believe it? Every time a lottery gets big, what do people do? People travel across state borders to go pay that ticket. Because why? at the end of the day, it's not just that they want the lottery. They want all the wealth. And they want to be treated like the man with the gold ring. So it's sin. It's silly. And then the last thing, it is very serious. Read verse 8 with me. It says, If you fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Notice, first of all, this target of love that he speaks of. What's the royal law? Do you remember? Do you remember what Jesus said? So they came, like, what can I do to be saved? He, he gave them two things. He said, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what he's saying. He said, that's the target. We either love our neighbor as ourselves. So if we're, if we're out in the backyard with archery, with a bow and arrow, and you've got a target, the bullseye, the middle of that target that you're shooting at, is what you're aiming for. And what he's saying to these Christians, here's what I want you to aim for. I want you to aim for loving your neighbor as yourself. If you're doing that, spectacular. Good to go. Awesome. So glad you're doing it. The problem is it's a lot more complicated than that. Case in point, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because like, well, what's the neighbor? Who's the neighbor? And then all of a sudden, it's this person that's being beaten up, who's, who's, who's a lesser person, and they're kind of warped eyes. And he says, yeah, the one who loved, Luke ten thirty seven, the expert said, the one who had mercy on him is the one who is loving its neighbor. So he's saying that should be the goal. Love poor, love rich, love everyone. Uh, it, it, partiality doesn't line up with that at all. So how well are you? I mean, let's, let's look at our lives. Let's be honest. Royal law. It's pass, fail. Are you passing or failing? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? I'm not saying are you loving yourself as yourself. But are you, are you loving your neighbor? Because not only do we see the target of love, let's look at the transgression of the law. Read verse 9 with me. He says, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit a murder, adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Did you hear what he just said? Showing partiality convicts you before a holy and righteous God as a lawbreaker. So not looking at any other sins in your life, just on that one area alone, you are guilty before a holy and righteous God. My, my boys have been playing uh, a video game that's been online recently. It's called Fall Guys. 
Uh, I'll admit I started playing it a little bit. It's kind of, you get this quirky little guy and you're trying to make it to the finish line and I've gotten pretty good at it. However, I have not won it yet. I have gotten second place more times than I want to admit and I get so close like so close. The last time, I don't even know why I didn't win. I thought I saw the guy falling off of the, the particular thing, but apparently I fell off before him and I lost. The joystick might have flown across the room, nicely placed on the couch beside me. Um, but the truth is, whether I finished at the 60th place or I was second place, I did not win, right? only one winner. And what he's saying here, it's that kind of idea that, yeah, it's great. You can do all these other things really well, but if you are not loving your neighbor as yourself, if you are showing partiality, you're lost. You're guilty. Galatians 3.10 says that, for all who rely on the works of the law are cursed, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not buy, abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And he gives the example of adultery. He's like, okay, you're not committing adultery, but you have committed murder. Does that make you not a lawbreaker? I mean, imagine in courts, murder, they have the weapon, they got fingerprints, they got video, they got eyewitness testimony, he is guilty as charged. As he's sitting there before the judge, he says, yes, I am guilty. I did the murder. But I have never committed adultery on my wife. It was the judge going to be like, good to know. Uh, bailiff, please release him. No, it's like, yeah, that doesn't matter. You're still going to jail. You're guilty. And that's what he's saying here. And that's why this is such a big deal. If this was the only sin that you and I committed, this would have sent us all to hell. If this was the only sin, this would have still necessitated Jesus Christ having to come in our place and be the sin bearer. That's why it's so important for us to grasp the seriousness of what James is saying. Stop explaining it away or ignoring it. We need a Savior as a result of this sin. Let's be honest. On this area, are you a lawbreaker? Do you see your need for Jesus? Does this humble you? Does this awaken you to just how desperate we are for God's grace and God's mercy? So we looked at the partiality. We saw the scenario and the special treatment that ensued. Uh, we looked at why this is a problem. We saw the sin. We saw it's silly. It's, it's very serious. Well, how do you and I how do we respond to this? So what, Joe? How do we act rightly in light of what we learned today? First of all, we need to remember the mercy shown. Read verse 12 with me. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of the liberty. Now, I need you to understand what he is not saying, and we'll see this even further next week, he is not telling them they earn favor before God. He's not saying that we work our way to righteousness before the Lord. No, what he's talking about, those that are being judged under the law of liberty, the law of freedom, is those who have been saved and redeemed by who? By Jesus. 
John 8, 36 says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So it's the follower of Christ who understands his liberty. That is who he's talking to. That is the he and the she who he's speaking of. That's the, 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 the audience for him. It's those people. He's reminding them of people who have experienced what true freedom is. If a person has been rescued as a prisoner of war, and, and they get rescued, especially those first couple weeks being back from that, besides recovering physically, there is that part of them that they just, they want to take it all in. They want to appreciate what it feels like to no longer be in captivity. And what he's saying is, man, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you and I take it in. We have this liberty. We have this freedom in Christ. We realize that we were lowly people, right? You and I, spiritually speaking, we were in shabby clothes. We were in filthy, dirty clothes when Christ came along and rescued and redeemed us. You and I were not desirable. Do you understand that? In and of ourselves. When God came along to save us, it wasn't as if, man, I cannot believe I have the opportunity to save this person. We were a mess. We were dead in our transgressions and sins when he came along and rescued and redeemed us. We were the outcasts. Well, have you forgotten that? Do you have a revisionist view of your history? I think a lot of us look back in the past and think, you know what? I wasn't that bad. I definitely wasn't as bad as him. I wasn't as bad as her. You know what? I was like so close. And what God did is he kind of just pushed me a little bit over the edge. He gave me just enough of a help to, to get me right before God. Friends, that is so far from truth. That is so far from reality. You were dead in the grave when he came and made you alive in Christ. And we need to remember that. It's crucial that we remember the mercy shown. Why? Because we need to show mercy. And I think if, if we're being really candid with one another, the reason you and I judge people based on the outward appearance is because we're self-righteous and we don't realize how much mercy God showed us. End of the day. That's it. It's, it's that simple. We can judge so easily because we're arrogant, we're conceited, we think we're so much better than other people. We look better, we act better, we dress better, we think better. So it's so easy for us to sit in that chair as the judge, as the, as the person with evil thoughts. And friends, that should not be the case. God warned of this. You remember the parable? It's with the unmerciful servant. So if, if you remember the servant, he, he, he's struggling. He owes this big debt. Uh, the judge and the, the person that he owes to says, you know what? I'm going to forgive you of your debt. You don't deserve it. I'm going to forgive you. Forgives him. Now this newfound freedom, he goes out and finds somebody who owes him a far lesser debt. And he throws him in jail until he pays off the debt. Well, the person who forgave the initial debt finds out about it, and he is furious. He's beyond angry. In Matthew 18, it says, You wicked servant, I forgave you all of the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? That's why he says in verse 13, For judgment is without mercy to those who have shown no mercy. 
It's like, fine, you don't want to show mercy to others. I will not show mercy to you. But if you show mercy to others, guess what happens? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Our hope on that day when we stand before God is going to be mercy. Not getting what we deserve and getting what we don't deserve in Christ. We don't fear judgment because of God's mercy. And what he is telling you and I is as a result, we pay it forward. We show mercy to other people? Or are you showing mercy to the lowly and despised? Because that should be the eye opener. If you're not, you've got a forgetful memory. You're forgetting what God did to you, forgot God did in you. You're forgetting where you were. That's the problem. The next time, because it's going to happen probably today, you're going to be out and about. Fourth of July, you're going to be at the, you're going to be at the uh, fireworks somewhere. And inevitably, because I've been to enough fireworks, you're going to be looking around in the public, and there's going to be some people who are dressed as plain weird and ridiculous. There's going to be people wearing outfits that are just not flattering. And what we're going to do, because this is what we like to do, is we judge, we make fun, we laugh, we giggle, we look at like, oh my goodness, can you see that person? Like, what are they doing? Stop it. God showed you mercy. You were the one that stood out at the fireworks when God came along and saved and redeemed you. Understand that. I came across this story. I don't know how authentic this story is, but I think it's a great illustration of what we're talking about. Uh, there was a man, his name was Alexander. He owned several high-end restaurants. Uh, he was uh, up in his years, and he was diagnosed with a terminal illness. So he was going to be dying in the next few months. Uh, it was really... Uh, eye-opening. He was a businessman. He was a successful businessman, had really no family. Uh, that was kind of, his family was his, his life was his business. And what he decided to do, he's like, I want to see the legacy I'm leaving behind. So he went to each of these four restaurants and he decided, you know, I want to see how they respond to certain customers. He dressed up like a homeless man. Dressed up as a homeless man. Uh, he came to the first one uh, he didn't even make it in the door. Uh, the person at the front ran out, said, yeah, uh, we have no openings. Uh, we're booked. No, can't come in. Uh, was disappointed, but not surprised. Next place he went, got called a hobo. They suggested he should go around back and eat from the dumpster. Third restaurant, didn't go much better. He was able to get in the lobby uh, but the manager told him, he's like, here's what you need to do. You need to go take a shower. You need to dress into some more presentable clothes. And then maybe we'll let you come back and you can watch the other people eat these food, the food here. So, I mean, so three for three, he's dealt with this. Is, and they have no idea who they're talking to. And he's devastated. He's discouraged. I mean, can you imagine? This is my legacy. I've created a restaurant that is a bunch of snotty, High society people that have no compassion and no care in the world for others. So he gets to the last restaurant and he goes to the door and the manager comes up and says, hey, how can I help you? So he's caught off guard by that, first of all. And he says, here's the deal. He's like, I'm hungry. I'm down and out. I lost my job. I'm homeless. I don't have anything. Can you do me a favor? Can you help me out? And the manager says, here, can you stay right here for a second and I'll be back. Well, the second took a little bit longer than a second. It took a while. And 
he got disappointed. So Alexander, he, he turned his back, started walking towards the exit. He's like, once again, I'm just devastated. This is what I built. And the manager's like, where are you going? Where are you going? He catches him. He's like, no, 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 no. Come here. What he was doing is he was getting a table ready for him. And the table was ready and he had food from the menu. Like tons of plates of different food for this person to be able to kind of gorge himself. Just help yourself. And, and the Alexander, he was so taken back by it. He's like, why? He's like, why are you doing this for me? And the manager, he's like, you don't understand my story. I was down and out when this company, they hired me. They brought me in. I started in the kitchen. I, I worked my way up to where I am today. And I, I, I remember the mercy they showed me. I didn't have anything in my, in my um, resume that would have had them hire me. And he's like, because of that, like, man, when I saw you and I heard your story, I saw the opportunity to show mercy and to pay it forward. Friends, isn't that the gospel? I think the reason the church has become like the world on the matter of favoritism and partiality is we have forgotten when we were down and out in our luck. We have forgotten when we were looking for scraps in the garbage and we just so desperately wanted to be able to eat at the table. And God did that for us in Christ. He stepped in. He showed us grace. He showed us mercy. He actually took those shabby clothes off of us. And what did he do? He put us on some fine clothes, much finer than the gold ring guy. We are clothed now with the righteousness of Christ. When God sees us, he doesn't see the sin. He sees his son. And I think if you get that, if you really get it, if your mind really wraps around that, the natural overflow is going to be you and I are going to be some of the most gracious and merciful people. That we can come up to the most disgusting of people in the world's eyes. And we can love on them. We can care for them because that's what Jesus did for you and I. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. And first and foremost, we ask for forgiveness we confess the fact that we are a people whose time and again we judge based on appearance. We show favoritism. We show partiality. And then we explain it away as it's not a big deal. So God, forgive us for our foolishness. Forgive us uh, for what it is. Forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for breaking your divine law. And we pray, God, not only for forgiveness, we pray for repentance. We pray that you would change us. That, Lord, at least at Covenant, at least at this church, at least amongst the people here, that we would be those who show mercy time and again to others. That the downtrodden, that the forgotten, that the outcasts, that they could be able to come in here and be loved on and embraced as you loved and embraced us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand as we